0: For the blessings you've given us, we ask that you will join us here this morning, Lord. Ask that your spirit will be upon us. We ask that uh, you enlighten our minds, guide us in the paths to everlasting life, and that we can witness for you. We pray in your holy name. Amen. Amen. Now, last week, I read a long quotation in class, uh, a article, The Covenant of Grace, from the pamphlet, Savior of the World, and I attributed it to Ellen White. And one of our online listeners, Kent Johnson emailed me that, in fact, it was W.W. W. Prescott that wrote that. So I made a mistake. And I don't know how your process is when mistakes are made. My process is I want to analyze how that happened because I don't like making mistakes. Uh, I, we all do. But so I started processing, well, what, what happened? And, and I found three reasons why I attributed this to, to Ellen White. One, I got it from the E.G. White estate website. That's where I got the quote. And across the the website is a big banner, E.G. White Estate. And then in much smaller print above the article, it it said uh, W.W. Prescott. But I I missed the, the smaller print. It was there. That was not the only reason, though. second reason was, as we went through in detail, the concepts expressed are true and, and are consistent with design law. And so I didn't question it. If, if I read something that was contrary to design law, I would have questioned, did she really write this or not? But I didn't because it was true. And then third, I'm very familiar with her writings, and it sounded so much like her writings. Uh, so so it sounded so much like our writings. I went back and I did a little dive and compared this past week. And I've got it in the notes. So I won't go through them all. But I discovered there were multiple places in the W.W. Prescott article where he actually had quotation marks, but no reference, where he quoted her but he didn't reference her all the bible now i missed that also because all in his article every bible quotation has the bible reference it tells you where it's from but none of her quotations even though they had quote marks had any reference to her uh, either there or there was no footnotes so i didn't spot that they were quotations and they are in fact and i've got Multiple paragraphs, multiple paragraphs that were exact quotations taken from her and put in his article. So that's a third reason. And then where he didn't actually quote her, he paraphrased her. He took her concepts and just put them in, in his own words. And so I've got several pages here in the notes. I won't go through them with you. In which uh, I have taken a paragraph from the W.W. Prescott article that's in the notes in black, and right below it are Ellen White quotes in red, and you can, if you get the notes, compare the two, and you'll discover that, in fact, every position or major point that he made, she also makes, just expressing it either in a direct quote from, from, from her that he put in there or he expresses it in his own language. But the article is authored by W.W. Prescott, the concepts are those that we believe of design law. And therefore, it shouldn't surprise us that uh, they are also expressed in the writings of Ellen White, because she was a big advocate of the design law view of things. All right. So in our Sabbath lesson, we're doing lesson three, all future generations and the promise, God's everlasting covenant. And the memory verse is Genesis 6-8. And the King, King James reads, But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. The NIV reads, But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. What does this mean? Noah found grace or favor in the eyes of the Lord. Does it mean that Noah was the only one who figured out the secret to get God to be gracious? Does it mean that God wasn't gracious to anybody but Noah? Does it mean that God plays favorites? Noah found favor. God plays favorites and preferred Noah and didn't like other people on earth. Does it mean that Noah took advantage of the grace and favor God made available to everyone? Yes. If you read it that way, why does it say he found favor in the Lord's eyes? In the Lord's eyes. Here's how I paraphrased it in the remedy. But the Lord was pleased that he had a friend in Noah. That's how I paraphrase it. Now, there's certainly nothing wrong with the grammatical translation in the King James or the NIV. Perfectly reasonable grammatical translations of that Hebrew. Absolutely right, right on. So why did I not go along? Why did I paraphrase it? But the Lord was pleased that He had a friend to know. Why did I go that direction? Well, Because of the context of when this phrase appears. Here's the NIV, Genesis 6, 5 through 8. Getting the the verses right before verse 8. Notice, notice the context and and the flow of the, of the, of where, what's happening. The Lord saw how great man's wickedness on earth had become and that every inclination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil all the time. The Lord was grieved that he had made man on the earth, and his heart was filled with pain. So the Lord said, I will wipe mankind whom I have created from the face of the earth, men and animals and creatures that move along the ground and birds of the air, for I am grieved that I have made them. But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. Is the context here where this, this Noah found favor showing up, in other words, the flow of the story, is the flow of the story from Noah's perspective or from the Lord's perspective? Lord. It's from the Lord's perspective. So it seems to me it's more accurate to render this as focusing on God's perspective, uh, not Noah's perspective. Uh, that despite God's heartache, the heartache he experienced because all of his other children were wicked, uh, all of the other hearts were against him, he was pleased that Noah was, was his friend. Right. But the traditional way of translating this makes it sound like God just couldn't take it anymore, and was going to lash out to punish, but Noah was fortunate. He found favor in the eyes of the Lord. Isn't that how it comes across in the traditional view? Pardon? As it comes across in the lesson. So here's my, my paraphrase of those verses out of, out of the remedy. It says, the Lord saw how human beings, by choosing to indulge selfishness, had completely corrupted themselves, destroying in themselves his design of love, and how their every desire was totally selfish, and their hearts sought evil all the time. The Lord grieved at their suffering, and His heart ached over the over humanity's terminal condition. He also grieved at the action His love must take in order to slow the spread of sin and keep open the avenue for Messiah to save the to save the human species. So the Lord pronounced His therapeutic plan: I will remove, remove the malignantly selfish humans from the face of the earth that I have made. I will remove humans and animals, with large and small, and the birds of the air. Having to do this grieves me for I have created them. But the Lord was pleased that he had a friend in Noah. The Lesson gives example of how bacteria multiply rapidly through fission. One becomes two, two becomes four, four become eight, and so on. And they uh, multiply very rapidly. And the lesson states, quote, this microscopic phenomenon in the natural world illustrates the rapid growth of evil after the fall, unquote. What are the strengths and weaknesses of that illustration? Excellent. Strength would be sin is like an infection, that once it has invaded, once it becomes part of a harder mind, it will spread and increase on its own unless actively opposed. So there, there's a strength in that illustration. But the weakness, uh, we're not petri dishes. <laughs> We have individuality, the power to think and choose, and God did not leave us on our own. God has provided every resource necessary to stop the spread of sin in our hearts and minds and prevent the corruption of our characters and to restore us to righteousness. So we don't have to be just passive dishes that the sin spreads in. We have the choice, through God's grace, to resist and be transformed. So there's a strength, there's an illustration, there, there's an aspect, but it's not direct. The Bible tells us in Genesis three that God promised the Messiah to come and eradicate sin to save and save humanity. The seed of the woman will crush the serpent's head. It tells us that God will put enmity between the woman and the serpent. What does that mean? Enmity between the woman and the serpent. So do you do you see God intervening, God taking an active role at this point? Do you see that? God's actively doing something. After humankind sins, Adam and Eve's heart's infected with fear and selfishness, the survival drive, the me first instinct, God intercedes. I will put enmity between you and the, wom- the woman, speaking to the serpent. God intercedes in three places after the fall. First is, is described right here. In the hearts and minds of human beings, the Holy Spirit works to convict us of sin, to draw, to put a desire for something better, to woo, to lead us in the paths of righteousness. The Holy Spirit's working on hearts so that we're not, at, we're not at peace with sin. We feel uncomfortable when we go against God and his desire, at least until we destroy the faculties that respond to God. But as long as we have those, we feel it like, because God is putting a desire for good in the heart. He did not abandon us. Here's here's an interesting quote from um, one of the founders of the Adventist church, uh, Ellen White, in Signs of the Times, July 11, 1895. See if you agree with this. The Lord said, I will put enmity between thee and the woman. The enmity does not exist as a natural fact. As soon as Adam sinned, he was in harmony with the first great apostate. And at war with God. And if God had not interfered in man's behalf, Satan and man would have formed a confederacy against heaven and carried on united opposition against the God of hosts. There is no natural enmity between evil angels and evil men. Both are evil through transgression of the law of God. And evil will always league against good. Fallen men and fallen angels enter into a desperate companionship. Understand, if the heart is not under the influence of the Holy Spirit, it is under the influence of the enemy of God. Even if that enemy is not in the room. Even if Satan isn't specifically tempting, encouraging, guiding, inspiring, the unrepentant heart devoid of God's influence will value the same methods as Satan, practice the same principles as Satan, come to the same conclusions, take the same actions as the evil one. These actions are the activities driven by fear and selfishness known as survival of the fittest. These actions will lead to lying, manipulating, seeking to dominate and control others, power over, passing laws to enforce other people comply with what you think is right through coercion, taking away liberty, inciting more fear, destruction of those who disagree with you, exploiting others to take advantage. All of this is the natural result of Human action without specific external temptation if the action is not under the influence of the Holy Spirit. It's unavoidable. It's design law, how reality works. You're either being influenced by the Holy Spirit with the principle of truth, love, and freedom, or you're being driven by fear and selfishness. And fear and selfishness leads one way, only one way. So, God intercedes in the hearts of human beings to give a desire for something better. And when we repent and open the heart, the Spirit comes in and we grow and we develop and we mature and we get fruits of the Spirit and our characters are transformed. We love others and we don't live in fear. We might be tempted by fear, we don't live in fear. We, we might be tempted by fear, we're not controlled by fear. Jesus was tempted in Gethsemane with fear. You see it. But he wasn't controlled by it. He never gave in to it. Temptation is not sin. So God intercedes in the heart. God also intercedes with the principalities and powers of darkness to put a hedge of protection around uh, people, both the righteous and unrighteous. Understand, God has been holding in, in check the forces of evil so that the unrepentant have time to recognize the truth and respond to it and come to repentance as well as protecting the righteous for, for God's larger purposes. We see this in the book of Job when Satan complains there's a hedge of protection around Job. Yes, God was protecting Job. We see this with Elijah and the angel armies holding back the Assyrian army. We see this in God holding back the scorpions and the snakes against uh, Israel in the desert. We see this with the four angels in Revelation holding back the four winds of strife. We see this all through God's actions of the Old testament intervening to hold back the destructive tidal wave that would have destroyed the children of Israel that were the avenue for the Messiah. Constantly holding in check. And then God interceded in a third place, intercession. So I'm, I'm using this word on purpose. When people talk about, do you believe Jesus is our intercessor? Yes, of course. Where's he interceding and to do what? In the hearts and minds to convict of sin and draw with the principalities and powers of darkness. And then in the third place, Jesus interceded with the course of sin itself. What sin actually does to the being. What would have occurred to the human species had Jesus not become human, become sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God? If he had not taken upon himself this sin condition to overcome it, the whole human species dies of it. We're terminal. So Jesus partook of our condition and cured it, overcame it, and opened a new avenue that all who trust in him are not on a trajectory to eternal death. All who trust in him have a new path now to eternal life. He interceded with that course of what sin does and opened a new way. That's intercession. That's reality. Sunday's lesson first paragraph contrasts the perfection of God's creation at the end of creation week with the wickedness before the flood and states. The transgressions and rebellion were clearly something that even a loving, patient, and forgiving God couldn't, couldn't tolerate. What, what does it mean? What do you hear? What's the message? What's the take-home point? Tra- pardon? God's got a problem. God's got a problem. The transgressions and rebellions were, according to the lesson, clearly something that a loving, patient, and forgiving God couldn't tolerate. Clearly? Clearly? Does it does it make it sound like things got so bad, God just couldn't take it anymore, and God became intolerant? Couldn't tolerate it anymore. Had it up to here, up to here with you people. Does it sound like God only has so much patience... And when God reaches the limit of his patience, he just can't take any. Other. I'm sick to that. The wickedness has gotten so bad. I it offends me so much. I'm, I, I just can't take it anymore. And I can't tolerate it. Does it make it sound that way? Yeah, sad, isn't it? it, makes sound, it does, does it make God sound infinite or finite? He's, it makes him sound limited. Limited in his ability, limited in his patience, limited in his love, limited in his tolerance, limited in his self-restraint, if he just got some anger management classes. Now, I want to be very clear, folks. We believe there are limits, real limits, limitations in how far sin can go. They're real. No question about it. And when sin reaches those limits, consequences happen. But are the limitations in God or are limitations in the sinner? So can we rephrase this concept of limits on sin and how far sin can go in a way that expresses it better, that expresses limitations as being due to the limitations of human nature and not a limitation in God's character, nature, love, abilities, and so forth? And can we understand God's actions To intervene at times when sin reaches a limit, his interventions at those times uh, are, are evidences of his limitless, infinite love and patience acting when sin reaches a point whereby no further action on God's part will only result in more pain, suffering, and death. In other words, can we see God's actions as infinite patience and love, acting with mercy to heal and save? And when sin reaches a limit that no more love, truth, mercy have any impact on and only results in suffering, then God acts. Well, what law lens are you looking through? We always ask that. If you have a human law lens, then God is acting to punish. He gave his law. He also gave warnings because he wouldn't just pop it on you out of the blue. He had Noah warning him for 120 years, warnings, and he gave him time, 120 years. But if people won't change, justice has to be maintained. God has to finally stand up. He gives a probationary time, and if you reach the end of that, olly ali in free, you know. It's, it's, you had your time. You missed it. Countdown clock. Now God has to act because... He can't tolerate it anymore. That's, that's imposed law. Design law, though, we realize God waits until waiting any longer will do no good. He waits until the limits of the resilience in the sinner is surpassed, and the faculties in the sinner that respond to truth and love are irre- irrevocably destroyed, and no amount of truth and love will have any impact on him. Then God acts not to inflict punishment, but to therapeutically intervene to limit, suffering, and save the species. In this case, time of the flood, keep open avenue for Messiah. And if you look at the history of what's recorded, how long did he wait? How many human beings, according to scripture, were still righteous at the time of the flood? One! And his family got on the ark. The entire rest of the entire population of the entire planet had so hardened their heart They were beyond reach. Does that sound like an impatient God? Or he waits until there is no more use in waiting. And had he waited any longer, Noah and his family are killed. No avenue for Messiah. Understand, God is not going to force a woman against her will to be the mother of Jesus. And he's not going to have Jesus born to a woman like Jezebel, the priestess of Baal. He needed a righteous, willing woman to be the mother of Jesus. He had to have that avenue in order for Jesus to become incarnate, to actually partake of human flesh. Satan is trying to shut it down. God waits until there's only one human left in his family. Sounds like great patience to me. Just the opposite of he, of, of he became intolerant. Lesson makes a great point in the third paragraph. It says, Genesis 6, 5, and 11 did not arise in a vacuum. There was a history before then. This, cer- this terrible result had a, cur- had a cause. Sin progressively got worse. It tends to do that. Sin is not like a cut or a wound with some automatic built-in process that brings healing. On the contrary, if left unchecked, sin multiplies, never, uh, never satisfied until it leads to ruin and death. I think mean, this is well said. Uh, there's not some automatic process built in. That is actually not true. Nature is filled with God's built-in processes that heal, as soon as you cut a tree, you see sap that starts healing. As soon as you you cut yourself, the blood starts coagulating to heal. God has healing mechanisms built into all nature. It's just that without God's additional intervention, we could not heal from sin. It's impossible. But there are mechanisms built into nature by God that are warring the destructive principles. There are war going on. So, but so so that part isn't quite accurate. But the part about sin being progressive and it's never satisfied until it ultimately results in death. That part's true. That part's absolutely true. And I wanted to talk about that part. The law of diminishing returns. That whatever sin activity people engage in and get a thrill from and reward from, and most sin activity gives them some immediate reward. The pleasure or thrill diminishes with the same dose of that activity in the future, and you have to up the dose in order to get the continued thrill or uh, get more vile or more corrupt or more extreme or compound it with other things so the gambler has to risk more has to gamble more in order to still get the thrill the addict has to take more or bigger doses or compound the substances with more and ad- more additional substances the sex addict has to watch and indulge in ever more devolving Uh, and base acts the serial killers start out abusing animals and then killing animals and then escalate to people there's always an escalation not only is the practice of sin progressive it simultaneously destroys the faculties that prefer righteousness that's why it's progressive the the uh, the addict couldn't uh, the addict that's been been progressing and, and getting more and more substances if the substance they're taking today that they that they're getting a buzz on if they'd have took that in the beginning oftentimes would have killed them they had to, to- build up tolerance to that the 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 porn addict who's looking at whatever's sterling them today if they'd have been shown that at the very beginning they would have probably vomited and got grossed out by it serial killers in the very beginning would not be able to immediately kill a human being. They have to desensitize themselves. They have to destroy the conscience, sear it, warp themselves. And that's what sin does to build up to ever-increasing levels of perversion of God's design of love. The human heart is deceitful above all things and utterly wicked. The unrepentant lie to themselves and others. This isn't sin. And so... The unrepentant who are progressing down a path of more vulgarity and more abuse of themselves in their sinful lifestyle, searing their conscience, warping their minds, corrupting their thinking, lying, they will have a whole host of behaviors that they will do in society. They will deny, they will distort, they will blame, they will project, they will externalize, they will obfuscate, they will accuse. Look around society. They will not look in the mirror. The Bible talks about the, the, the law being a mirror that exposes and diagnoses us. They will not look in the mirror. They don't want to see it. They want to destroy the mirror. They hate all messages that would counter their sinful lives and the false narrative that they give themselves because that the truth exposes how corrupt they are. They don't want to see it. It would bring a conviction of guilt. They don't like it. Not just spoken messages. Just a righteous life. A righteous life, they hate. It exposes. A happy, healthy relationship that doesn't abuse the partner, they hate. Jesus said those in darkness won't come into the light lest their evil deeds be exposed. It isn't enough that they are left free in their community, in their society, to corrupt themselves. Sin always causes, always, causes guilt, fear, shame, and a sense of inadequacy. Always. Until the conscience is fully seared. So the unrepentant sinner must live in a world of lies. If they're not going to repent, the only way to resolve the guilt, fear, and shame in a healthy way, is repentance and have a new heart and right spirit where it's no longer I that live, but Christ lives in me. And then we have that peace and joy again. But if we won't repent, if we want to persist in the sinful lifestyle, then we, to avoid the guilt, fear, and shame, we have to lie. Lie to ourselves and demand anybody that interacts with us agree with our lies and feed the lies back to us. And you see this in society all the time cannot leave people free who just want to live their private lives. And when I say private, just live in society, doing it their own way. You're free to do it your way. It's okay. But they can't do that. They will force you to make a decision to condemn them or not. And then if you condemn them, you will be attacked through their various powers in society as a bigot, an intolerant, a um, a, a religious nut, whatever. We see this in high schools where those who use drugs work hard to get those who don't use drugs to use. might be alcohol, might be tobacco. And if you're at a party where everybody's using and you don't use, you'll be pressured to try. And if you don't try but you just leave everybody free you won't be invited back. You will be ostracized. You'll be shunned. You'll be a goody two-shoes. There's pressure because they feel guilt for what they know they're doing is wrong and and the behavior of the righteous, who is not condemning, they just don't want to do it to themselves, cannot be tolerated. We have to put that light out. You see this in communities. Just pick your subject. You see it. I could pick some, but some are more politically, um, let's just say, hot than that one. So I won't pick that. I won't pick them, but you may know them. The unrepentant will seek to silence voices that speak truth. They will seek to destroy the livelihoods of those who whose lives are not conforming to their standards, even though those people are in no way taking action to try and make other people's unrighteous life stop. Look at Daniel. Did Daniel go around pointing out the sins of of the idol worship of all the pagans in Babylon and and Persia? He simply went to his window three times a day and prayed. But they couldn't take it, and they sought to destroy him for his righteous life. Look at the prophets of the Old Testament. How many times they were persecuted for the same thing? Look at Jesus. He didn't seek out to reform the church leaders and point out all their faults. They constantly came to him to try to trip him up and try to to get the people to turn against him, and ultimately they crucified him because his life exposed their sin. The wicked cannot stand those who live godly lives and speak the truth in love. This is another evidence that those who have discernment and evidence, this process that I'm pointing out to you right now, it's a tool you can put in your head, use it in society. For those who have discernment, they can look around and see God's enemy at work. The people of God present truth in love and leave people free. I'm going to share with you, the, with my patients all the time, I'm going share with you the dangers of tobacco smoking. I'm going to share with you that people who eat fast foods and junk foods frequently have a 40 to 50% higher rate of depression than people who eat whole foods and healthy foods. That These are highly inflammatory. And they can, but you know what? You're free to go out and eat the fast food and junk food if you want. If that's what you want to make your diet with. But it's going to be limited. People who don't get 78 hours of sleep at night have higher rates of depression and dementia as they age because the brain clears its waste products during sleep and memories consolidate in sleep. And if you're going to constantly be sleep deprived, you're going to have cognitive problems and memory problems and you're going to age more rapidly. But hey... I'd love you enough to leave you free to do that to yourself if you want. I'm not going to coerce you, I'm not going to pressure you. I'm going to educate you, but you're free. Truth presented in love, leaving people free. This is what the people of God do. The enemy of God, the enemies of God always seek to abuse, coerce, compel, restrict, restrain, punish, silence, eliminate the sources of truth. The Dark Ages Church persecuted and sought to destroy the reformers. Nazi Germany persecuted and sought to destroy all the voices who opposed what they were doing to the Jews. Communist countries always persecute and silence voices who oppose their authority. Always. Imprisonment, execution. And what about today? Who seeks in our society to deplatform, to silence, to coerce, to intimidate, to use the power either of the state or commerce or travel or just liberty itself to inflict punishment for speaking up and refusing to go along with the agendas that violate liberty? These are not movements of God. This is beastly. Now, it says in the lesson there was a progression to the wickedness, the hardening of hearts of people in Noah's day. Do we see a similar thing happening today? Well, let's examine the progression in Noah's day and see if we can see any parallels in what's happening in society today. First thing that started them on their downward trajectory, they rejected God and adored nature in the place of God. They enjoyed, and, 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 and they worshiped nature and valued their own genius, their own ingenuity, the works of their own hands, their own creativity, and they forgot the knowledge of God. Selfishness, rather than love, became the primary driving force. This led to worshiping the created things, and in harmony with the law of worship, by beholding, we become changed. changed. That's exactly right. So, highest created beings on planet Earth, There's nothing on earth we can worship that develop us. Anything on earth we worship degrades us. Giving up the knowledge of God? Cut yourself off from infinite truth, infinite love, infinite wisdom. Worshiping him, we we advance, we develop, we grow in reality. Worshiping things of nature? Degrade us. First thing they did is they gave up a belief in God. Have we seen a belief in God Take over the world. A, a, a rejection of the belief in God. The belief in godless evolution. Take over the world. Have we seen a rise in nature worship? It's called the green movement, folks. It's called the green movement. The earth is our mother. We must save her. I see parallels. Understand what happens to the mind. If you reject the knowledge of God... You cannot become more discerning and more enlightened. You cannot. And so the wisdom of the world is foolishness to God, and the wisdom of God is foolishness to the world. Because they're two different entire worldviews. Understand the premises understand the filters you put on your mind if you accept the lie there is no god we just it was a big bang it all just came from nothing we're just uh you know uh, uh, a chain and a a cog of evolutionary advancement it's just we're going to advance to another stage very soon there's no god it's all up to us it's on us we have to we have to 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 take action to to secure our future and what are the drives there they're primary primarily survival drives just opposite of the biblical worldview that we have a condition that's terminal that we need our hearts transformed by the Holy Spirit and the future holds a new heaven and a new earth recreated by God where he brings his throne here and we live in his life giving glory for all eternity completely different worldview first they rejected the knowledge of God after rejecting the knowledge of God they became sexually perverse rejecting monogamy engaging in polygamy And marriages, rather than co-equals, two co-equals joined in other-centered love, supporting and building each other up for the benefit of both, became a hierarchical, authoritarian relationship in which the powerful males dominated the weaker females, and the females began to use their sexuality to seduce the men. It was not as God-designed. Human sexuality became perverted. Has sexuality become perverted in society today? Has marriage, as God designed, been devalued? In multiple ways, devalued. Whether it's hierarchical, the headship of men and the wives should submit to the authority of their husbands. It's not God's design, folks. Whether it's devalued through cohabitation, we don't need to get married, we'll just live together until we don't want to live together anymore whether it's devalued through pornography, through serial relationships, through homosexual marriage, or through gender confusion. There's no male or female. Gender is whatever you decide. Do we see attack on human sexuality as God designed Third, they became violent, taking by force whatever they wanted. This is the progression. Reject God, sexual per- perversion, violence. They became violent, taking by force whatever they wanted, including the women that they wanted. And blood sport became a passion. They killed and they killed all the time. Have we seen in the world today increasing violence and decreasing of human life, the value of human life, or life, even animal life. Have we seen groups advancing their agenda through mobs, riots, and violence, and being rewarded, getting what they want through mobs, violence, and riots? Not being imprisoned, not being punished for their deviant behavior, for their violence, but being rewarded by getting the outcome that they want through it. Have we seen increasing terrorism and wars Have we seen more coercive power from the states? Fourth, they perverted their diets and began eating animals. Have we seen in the world today the perversion of the human diet with the undermining of human health, both mental and physical health? Have we seen foods that that, uh, God created humans to eat to nurture our health being replaced by foods that God never gave us to eat? Have we seen the foods that God did give us to eat being processed, altered with various dyes, chemicals, preservatives that alter the nutritional value? Is human health and mental health being undermined by diets around the world today? And then fifth, they gave up the knowledge of God, sexual perversity, violence all the time, perverse diet, and then they perverted nature itself. And it is my view that the dinosaurs uh, were results of various antediluvian breeding and hybridization projects, experiments done to create more violent animals for their blood sports. And this is why they were not on the ark, because God didn't create them. They were hybrids. One of the founders of the Adventist church, Ellen White, wrote the following in Spiritual gifts, page third, spiritual gifts, page 64, and then the next quote will be page 75. This is what she wrote. But if there was one sin that above of another, which called for the destruction of the race by the flood, it was the base crime of amalgamation of man and beast, which defaced the image of God and caused confusion everywhere. And then the second quote, every species of animal which God had created were preserved in the ark. The confused species, which God did not create, which were the result of amalgamation, were destroyed by the flood. Now, do you think those statements are too fantastical, a 19th century mind writing in her imagination, creating a fictional uh, narrative uh, that has no bearing on how reality works? Do you think she's telling the truth? Well, have we seen in the world today the corruption of nature itself? man-made bioweapons, maybe viruses altered in a virology lab and let loose on the planet. You understand this COVID-19, 99.8% certainty, 99.8% certainty, it was created in a lab. There's a 12 base pair sequence in the COVID-19 that doesn't exist in any other coronavirus in the world, and natural mutations do not happen in 12 base pair sequences. They happen in single point mutations. A 12-base pair mutation means it was inserted purposely. Do we see this in the world? Uh, have we seen the making of animal hybrids that are not part of God's creation? Have we seen that? We're more than 6,000 years away from the fall. We don't have the vitality they did, yet we're still seeing it. I'll just give you a partial list. You can go online, check me out. There, have you ever heard of a liger? <laughs> It's a cross between a tiger and a lion. Have you heard of a zonkey? It's a cross between a zebra and a donkey. Have you heard of a jag jaglion? Cross between a jaguar and a lion. Have you heard of a I don't know how they say it a jeep or a geep, but it's a cross between a goat and a sheep. Have you heard of a growler bear? A cross between a polar and brown bear. A koi wolf. A cross between a coyote and a wolf. A wolfin. A cross between a false killer whale and a dolphin. A beefalo. A cross between a buffalo and a cow. And there's many more. These are hybrids. What about human animal hybrids? Human animal hybrids. This is uh, from National Geographic website. <laughs> Quote, in a remarkable if likely controversial feat, scientists announced that they have created the first successful human-animal hybrids. The project proves that human cells can be introduced into a non-human organism, survive, and even grow inside the host animal, in this case, pigs. They, I've got the links here, and I've also got the links for human monkey hybrids that were created in China, human uh, mice with human brains. They've taken uh, human brain cells, human neurons, they've, uh, and they've uh, tested the mice with human neurons against regular mice, and the mice with human neurons in their brain are smarter than the mice with regular neurons in there, with mice neurons. They can actually um, do the mazes and things and all the little tests they put them through and learn faster than the mice without human neurons Uh, they have uh, pigs with human blood they have other animals that create human insulin this is where they get a lot of the insulin used today from animals that have been genetically altered to have uh, human genes to create human insulin these are just some of the amalgamations occurring in our society today do we really believe that that was fantastical about what Ellen White wrote, or people living 900 years with that life force energy and vitality and the animals that close to creation were much more capable of sustaining crossbreeding and amalgamations of various kinds. So there is a very reasonable and logical explanation for the dinosaurs that have nothing to do with this false, foolish narrative of billions of years of evolutionary transformation. It was created species being amalgamated or hybridized by the pre-flood intelligences and i think for their blood sports that's why they're so grotesque and appear so violent at times because they were designed to be violent are we seeing the world corrupting itself today just like it did at the time of the flood i've gone through a lot of examples gone through the steps in the progression, rejecting God, uh, sexual perversity, um, violence, dietary perversity, and then uh, perver- perverting nature itself. Are we seeing that? And then what is the solution? What is a Christian to do? Well, first, we share the everlasting gospel, which calls people back to worship the Creator, calling people out of both the godless worldview and the imperial dictator, false, dark-ages view of God. We call them out. Of the systems of false of false uh, of falsehood to worship him, who made the heavens the earth the sea, the designer of all reality, and we have a good news message of a God of love, whose laws are the laws of which reality are built upon and who wants to restore his life giving principles in us, and we always, in our own personal lives, practice and live out god 's laws and principles and how we treat others truth, love, freedom. we never seek to advance God's cause using Satan's methods. For regardless of how righteous the cause, when Satan's methods are brought to bear, it will worsen the problem. And I'm going to tell you now, I'm going to go on record, and time will prove me right, because I understand God's laws. When you violate God's laws, you damage always, always, always that we're going to have more deaths by the millions because of the restrictions that we put on for COVID, which is a violation of personal liberties than we will have saved through the restricting the contagion from going through society. Millions of more deaths. The evidence is already coming in. Cancer deaths are probably already within the end of this year going to be higher by the millions than the, than the deaths that we've lost from COVID because people, through the restrictions, have not got their cancer screenings that would have caught it early and treated it. That's just one example. Addiction deaths, suicide rates, and then the cascading effects down the generations of families who were ruined because their businesses are gone, and, and, that, that, and that those businesses supplied income to that f- that family for generations, but now they're on welfare or some, some other state, they've had their home foreclosed, they're going to have their home foreclosed, and the stressors of all of that resulting in not only that, because of the loss of income, people can't buy the healthier foods, and so their diets are getting injured. And this is pro- disproportionately more severe on the people of color. They have less resources to start with. The, the elites and the wealthy, oh, they're going to get by. They'll be okay. And it's predictable. Predictable if you understand design law. And I can't tell you how many times over the last year, have you heard me protesting the restrictions over the last year? And how many people emailed me throughout the country who listened to us about how they, they view me as wanting to hurt people and, 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 and be a super spreader and, and not caring about protecting lives. It's like, come on, folks. You can't win God's cause using Satan's method. You can't do it. You can't do it. And this is how the elite, uh, if it was possible, even the very elect might be deceived because the the, the deceiver is going to pick a righteous goal to trick you to participate with his forces in implementing his methods. The, The elect are not going to be deceived to set up a Satan worship cult in their community or a porn hub or a drug dealing ring. They're not going to be deceived into that. They're going to be deceived in doing something righteous that violates people's liberty and hurts the well-being of people. And that's what we see happening the the whole COVID restrictions. So first... We share the everlasting gospel and call people to practice into their lives God's method. Second, we share God's original design for human relationships, God's design for marriage, two co-equals, not a, one dominating and ruling over the other, but two people uh, uh, joining together in love and other-centered giving. Um, and we take out the fear out of those relationships. Third, we refuse to use violence, coercion, intimidation or compelling power to force our way. It's truth presented in love, leaving people free. We do not use the methods of a world or imperialism. Fourth, we return to as far as possible, as far as possible, to the healthiest diet we can consume in the circumstances in which we live. We all don't have the same opportunities. But with the choices available, you, you try to eat the healthiest overall diet you can eat because you want to care for the spirit temple. And the healthier the spirit temple, the healthier the mind. And the healthier the mind, the greater your ability to grow in truth. So one of the reasons Satan attacks us through uh, physiology, through bad diet, is to damage your, your brain structure and your brain's capacity for learning and assimilating information and growing in discernment and truth. So we want to we want to take care of our bodies to the best ability. And fifth, we protect nature. We're good stewards. We don't abuse animals. We don't pollute. We don't exploit the planet. But we also do not seek to advance the human being through artificial means like splicing animal DNA into the human body or cyborg computer chips going into the brain, which is actually, they're doing the animal studies on that right now. And the plan is to very soon have a computer chip that is put into your brain that you can begin accessing networks from your brain without anything. Mm. We are created in the image of God, and any attempt to improve the human being artificially will degrade it, will degrade it, will damage us. This does not mean, hear me carefully, somebody's probably mishearing me, this does not mean we avoid medical interventions like prosthetics, Designed to restore lost function, cochlear implant to allow a deaf person to hear, uh, um, uh, various uh, artificial joints and things. Of course, we do these things, but we don't seek to evolve the species to the next generation. What some are calling humans 2.0, and that's on the agenda, folks. Just go look it up. The studies are already happening. It will not. It will not end well. They will not be advanced. They will be diminished. They might be advanced in ability. Somebody might get advanced memory, for instance. Advanced access to data information. What they will not be advanced in is Christlike character. They will be debased. I promise you, if it happens, those who get additional abilities, maybe they, maybe they have some type of bionic limbs or, or, or chips that give them better uh, access to information more quickly. What will happen is they will become more self-centered, more arrogant, more egotistical. They will look down on humanity 1.0 as being the Neanderthal. And we must get rid of them. Only the more advanced and evolved humans deserve to live. This is where it will go. It won't be as the Bible teaches that those with the greatest abilities become the greatest servants of those with the least abilities. That's not where it will go. Do you think I'm wrong on that? Tuesday's covenant, a covenant with Noah, uh, Genesis 6.18, will establish a covenant with you, and uh, and you will enter the ark, your son's wife, daughter, and so forth. Is this covenant a different covenant than the covenant given in Eden, the covenant of grace, the covenant that promised the Messiah? Or is this simply a part of that covenant? An outworking of that covenant. Yes. Yes. This is simply an outworking. Could humankind be saved? Could the covenant of Eden? be achieved if jesus doesn't come no and at this point in time there's only one human left that's working with god and so if god doesn't act for this covenant with noah then the human species is lost so this is merely a local applied covenant for the purpose of achieving the covenant for the whole species this is always critical to remember god is not a racist god is not a tribalist god is not a nationalist God is the creator of all life and he created one human species and Jesus came to save the human species, the human species, not the Jews or the Gentiles. It's not a competition. The Jews were called to be the branch of the family through which Messiah would come for the purpose of saving the whole world. And, and many people miss that. They think that somehow, some are called, some are not. He wants to save these. He doesn't want to save those. He liked the Jews in the Old Testament, but he didn't like the Assyrians. He didn't like the Babylonians. He didn't like the Egyptians. This is not true. You see that, uh, that uh, the miracles, uh, the miracle of healing the leopard wasn't to a Jew. It was to Naaman. He loved everybody. He wanted everybody to come to repentance. So understand that that, that, that these various covenants, as we will go through the the whole quarter, you're going to discover they're all outworking of the grand covenant, the agreement to take the sin condition upon himself, provide remedy and cure that is offered freely back to all who will partake for the healing and restoration of hearts and minds. We're almost out of time, and I'm going to try to end on time today because we're going to take a five-minute break at 11, and then we're going to come right back at 11.05 and do 30 minutes of question and answer with our online audience. So first paragraph of Wednesday's lesson, close with uh, this part of it, is about the rainbow. And it talks about how the rainbow was given by God as a sign of the covenant. And then how today the rainbow is used as a symbol for many things. Political organizations, cults, rock bands, and travel agencies, and so forth. And, uh, and it's a good example of how Satan takes something of God and then turns it around and uses it for his purposes. And there's lots of things like that. The law of worship. Satan uses the law of worship by replacing the truth about God for any false concept of God and by beholding we become changed and thus we become debased by worshiping false gods. He uses that. By beholding we become changed. The Sabbath he uses uh, was given by God. It's either rejected completely, thus losing the benefits and blessings of the Sabbath, or it's embraced through the human law model as a rule that you must keep or else you'll get a demerit in a book and you'll be punished by. So it becomes a legalistic behavior that you, that you're most restricted on and there's no freedom about. So he takes the Sabbath, like in the days of the Jews, where it became the most restrictive and oppressive day of the week, cheating them of the blessing of of its purpose and why it was given. It was the day of the most liberty and the most freedom. Marriage, rejecting the co-equal relationship of two partners, another centered love, and building up some type of a hierarchical organization or relationship or a a polygamous relationship or any other uh, type of distortion to what God designed, it causes damage. It doesn't bring the blessing God designed. Foods were given, and then foods were replaced with things that were never intended for us to eat that actually undermine health. Replacing, and the big one that that is the biggest, replacing God's design law in the minds of men with this false narrative that God's law functions like human law, just made up rules with an overseer enforcing it with external inflictions of punishment. The whole world is intoxicated on that wine, that lie, that distortion. And we we have a message to call people back to worship him who made the heavens, the earth, the sea, and all that in them is. Any questions about this lesson? Yes, Wendell. On Thursday, toward the end of the lesson, it says, at the time of the flood, the creator of the world became the judge of the world. Mm. All right, let's talk about that. When you hear the word judge or judgment... What law lens do you hear it through? If you hear it through the human law lens and the judge is the one who evaluates the evidence and makes a judicial ruling and his ruling is what determines the outcome and the judgment is his conclusion and the judgment can also be judgments then become the punishments inflicted. But if you have the design law view, it's very simple. If you want to transition and train your mind to transition out of this false legal paradigm, simply replace judge or judgment, simply replace judgment with Diagnosis and judgments with therapeutic intervention. And so, what you will find uh, when you go to a doctor and you're sick, the doctor will evaluate the evidence, just like a judge will evaluate the evidence, and the doctor will make a judgment. A diagnosis. Here's the problem. Here's what's wrong. And that's what God does Search me and see the wicked way in me, O Lord. Create me a clean heart, O God. This is, God's making a judgment. Here's what's wrong. Here's a remedy. Here's what I judge. And so he judges at the time of the flood that the rest of the world, that he judges that the rest of the world had rejected him and practiced sin so long that they've destroyed the faculties within them that respond to love and truth and no amount more love and truth or time would have any impact on the minds. Only Noah was, re- was was responding. He judged that if he didn't intervene, that Noah and his family would be destroyed and the avenue for Messiah would be closed and the entire human species would be lost. He judged that a therapeutic action was necessary. He needed to act in order to put to sleep the rebellious in order to keep open the avenue for Messiah so the species could be saved. Further, he judged that the conditions on earth had to be changed to reduce the ease of life because the ease of life allowed the indulgence of sin and selfishness to corrupt so much more rapidly that he made life harder so that, you know, the old saying, idle hands of the devil's workshop, so that just surviving was harder, that kept them out of sinful indulgence just to provide food. And, 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 and then he shortened the lifespan to 120 max, approximately, so that the truly wicked could not corrupt so many generations and gain so much power and truly control. All these were judgments And none of them were punishments. They were all therapeutic interventions that reality required a loving creator to intervene, to bring about in order to heal and to save. Gracious Father in heaven, we thank you so much for the record in scripture of your constant care, love, mercy, patience. In infinite love and how you have intervened time and time and time again for the purpose of our healing, our redemption, our salvation. We ask that you will now intervene in our hearts and minds, finish the work that you've begun. Give us greater discernment and greater growth in your methods and principles and our character that we can be lights in this world. We pray in your holy name. Amen.